Welcome to the Envision Together, Going to Our Next Level Fest podcast. I'm your host, Pamela Mashana. Join me on this bi-weekly journey of empowerment, where you'll hear hands-on advice from lifestyle experts, educators, authors, spiritual leaders, and many more who will share tips on how to triumph personally, professionally, and spiritually. We explore timely topics such as overcoming anxiety and fear, educating the reluctant student, cultivating lasting relationships, and strengthening our faith. My hope is that the insights offered on the show will help us envision ourselves using our unique gifts and talents on greater levels for greater purposes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Envision Together, going to our next level of best. We are in season five, as you know, and I'm so excited because I have a young man who's going to tell us a unique story about, you know, basically how he was brought up and how those things may have impacted him as a person and what he is doing uh, today that serves himself as well as others. So, I'm so happy to welcome Derek Johnson to the show. And with that, Derek, uh, go ahead and tell us a bit more about yourself. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Dr. Mashana. Absolutely. So I'm, I was born in Fort Stewart, Georgia. So on a small army base outside of Savannah, Georgia, it's about an hour from there. So my dad was U.S. Army for 20 plus years. He retired. And my dad, he's a country boy. He's from the from Starkville, Mississippi. So he grew up on the farm. And my mother, she's German. So she grew up in the city. So my dad's a country boy. My mother's a city girl. So my dad met her in Germany when he was stationed there. So they first had my sisters and then years later had me. And so growing up until second grade, I lived in Germany. And then we moved to Pensacola, Florida. So we moved to the Panhandle because my dad was getting ready to retire out of the army. So that's where I grew up. And so at first it was a culture shock seeing like growing up. uh, Well, I mean, until second grade, I was watching the movies of American schools and all that. And I was like, I wonder if it's really like that because you don't know what you don't know. And then we get there and I was like, all right, cool. We got we got cheerleaders. We got basketball team. We got I was like, it's just like the movies. So it was interesting to adapt to all that. But yeah, so uh, we moved to Florida and then just growing up being mixed, living on military bases, going to public schools in Germany. Um, everything was pretty multicultural and all that. So it was really mm-hmm. normal and everybody was nice and open minded. And then so, once I got to me, my school. Let me pause there. You said uh, in Germany it was multicultural. Is that because you were going to school on the base or is it pretty multicultural in Germany at large? Yeah, it's it's honestly at large. There's a lot of people, a lot of different cultures that go there, especially a lot of Africans. There's um, Middle Eastern as well, because they'll come over and then they just have better opportunities there for their family. So a lot of them went to Germany. So I did at first go to school on base, but also went to school and like classes outside of base as well. So my parents made sure that I had both. So, yeah, so dealing with a lot of different ethnicities, cultures, and especially with the military families, a lot of them are either multicultural, different nations, different ethnicities. So that was our norm. And then we moved to the panhandle. (laughs) I don't know why I I've never been to Germany. My daughter has. Um, And of course, I know that there is people of all cultures and, you know, every country. 
but I wouldn't necessarily have called uh, Germany a multicultural type of environment. I didn't think it was to that extent the way you're describing it. So I'm I'm happy to know that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's not all of it, but definitely the cities that we were in, it, it was like that because it it was close to the army base. So you had that. And then even off base, there's a lot of different cultures, like even Hispanics and a lot of Turkish people. So very interesting. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, so from there, we moved to the panhandle of Florida. And that's where I, I went to school, played sports and all that. And then I just had the culture shock that being mixed or being the light skinned one, I was like, all right, I guess I got to prove myself here because <laughs> I was in martial arts and I knew that bullying wasn't going to stop until I stood up to the bully at school. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm here okay, to play ball. So wait a minute. You're going into my next yeah. question here. So let me just kind of set that up. Um, so in a previous conversation, you did tell me that you were bullied um, outside of your home. And I do want to get a little more insight of how you experienced that um, and what it meant in your world. What age were you and um, from whom were you bullied? Do you know why some people were so mean to you? <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Great question. So I was 11 years old when it really started. So I was in middle school. And so elementary school, it was pretty smooth, normal. But there was a big shift going into middle school in the States, especially in the South. So I I loved basketball. I love track. I just love sports in general. But I realized that the only people that honestly bullied me and like other mixed kids or just light skinned kids were our own people. So it was all the brothers yeah. and sisters that were like <laughs> bullying us the most. And wow. so it was mainly in a sports setting. So like an example on the basketball court gets because you look a certain way, you're soft or you're the pretty boy. So I had to make sure that I proved myself, even though I didn't want to fight at school. So I didn't want to get in trouble or all that. But I was like, what am I going to do? Just get bullied the whole time. Right. So I had to get in a couple fights. And then once they saw that, oh, wow, he's not scared at all. He has heart like he has no fear. They're like, OK, respect. And then from there. We didn't necessarily become friends, but there was a mutual respect. Yeah. So do you think some of like, that came to you in terms of how to deal with it um, because of your experience being raised on an army base, uh, the whole concept of defend yourself? Yes, definitely that, but also martial arts. And so dealing with a lot of crazy family, I was already used to all that. <laughs> so it was kind of like the upbringing school and then also being around different cultures i was just ready for it and so it wasn't as much as a shock to me as it was to some people that just weren't expecting it because i was kind of expecting it because i was watching the movies i was always online looking up i was like <laughs> i wonder how it's going to be for me so i was expecting all that after that it was more so a mutual respect from like me and the guys on a sports level where there was no longer really that much bullying it was just like i was there to give people a new experience because some people like their whole family lived in that one area, which I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, but you you only know what you know. So if something different comes, then at first people like will size you up and all that. So after they saw that the respect was mutual, they're like, oh, OK, he's just a normal dude. And at okay. first I was like, this is weird, but I just played along with it. OK. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, at a young age, your worldview and all that was already being greatly affected more than the average person just because oh, of yeah. the nature of travel. I always say, and maybe people are even tired of hearing me say, 
that part of a sound education includes travel. Like, oh yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Got to have the experiences, new cultures, new foods, and it just opens up the mind. And like after traveling, people just see the world differently, and they're just more open to learn. Because when something is different, they're like, oh, I wonder what that is. Instead of looking at it in a negative way, like they're different or she or he or whatever, they don't see it in a negative light. And not relying on just what you experience through media, but experiencing it for yourself. So when I travel, I try to mingle with the locals, so to speak, and hear and engage with them about what it's like in their country and what they're proud of or or not happy oh, with yeah. or just where's the best place to eat i mean <laughs> yeah so the locals they always give you the best experiences because sometimes at, just as americans we stick to the same places mm-hmm. it's like you, we can't go to the place we can't go to mcdonald's in another country and then get the chicken tenders at that restaurant it's like, like all right let's experience it even if somebody doesn't like the food or they're picky it's like you have experiences memories and you have different adventures and i do believe that the more stories we have to tell about new experiences we had, the fun, the more fun life is. Even if a trip does go bad, you could laugh at it years later where you're like, oh, yeah, you remember that it's trip true. we went there? Like, that was that was crazy. It's so <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah, I like how optimistic you are. Um, so I need to get back to um, more of your story here. I love talking about travel and all that. So um, I'm really pleased with <laughs> the discussion we just had. But I do want to get back to, um, I remember you telling me that at a certain point you lived in the South in the U.S. And yes. how you experienced, I think, even African-Americans in the South impacted yes. you. Um, can you tell us more about that? Yeah, for sure. So it was mainly in sports at first because of just looking different, being light-skinned, to be blunt. Being the light-skinned pretty boy, you're automatically supposed to be soft. So I had to prove myself on the basketball court, um, in the locker room and all that. But once they saw that I stood up to all the bullies or whoever was trying to start stuff, it minimized everything. So they're like, okay, he doesn't have any fear. He doesn't break eye contact. He's not scared to fight. And after that, they stopped messing with you because honestly – people that are bullies, no matter what the culture is or ethnicity, the only reason they do it is because they're insecure and closed-minded and they just project onto others. So they search for somebody that looks like a victim, a girl, a guy, whoever's like really timid, uptight, looks afraid. That's who they target. Mm -hmm. But once they see that somebody does not have the fear, then they start to back off. They'll still test you, but you just got to play that game. And I do feel like that part of bullying for some people it's needed because honestly me, like I needed that because it made me grow. So I feel like those experiences all depending on how prepared somebody is can help somebody. The reason I brought up um, you being bullied by African-Americans specifically is um, you shared some terms um, in a previous conversation. What were some of the, the names they called you? Yeah, for sure. So pretty boy, light, bright, Little Michael Jackson wannabe, basically all, all kind of wild stuff. I don't, <laughs> don't want to go too dark, but you hear, <laughs> hear a lot of crazy stuff. And then also because the way that I was speaking back then, I was just basically you sound white. And then I was like, well, my mom is German. And a lot of them that they just didn't know, because, I mean, yeah, it's not like I'm walking around with pictures good. of my family. So <laughs> nobody knew. And I, I'm just not one to like talk about myself. So I would just be there and be the quiet kid. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was just more so 
at first I thought that it was going to be the opposite. I thought that, that the rednecks at my school would bully me or do the racist stuff, but it really wasn't. It was more so black people that did it. And I was not the only one. It's the same thing happened to the Mexicans, um, happened to the other, other Hispanics or anybody that was like different. Like the, I remember there was a French guy that he was my complexion and he had a really strong accent and they were just like, man, what, what are y'all? So, <laughs> but, but I was able to like, speak to them and say, Hey, you know what? Hey, it is what it is. You have to stand up for yourself. If not, this is going to continue. I did my part. So it's not going to happen anymore. You got to do your part. So I was like, I can't protect everyone. Yeah. You know, the reason I brought it up is because we know about racism and bullying and prejudice um, when it's coming from a different culture other than your own culture. We know a lot about that. We talk a lot about that. And we talk about discrimination, if you will, within our, our own culture, but it's less talked about. So yes. anytime I have an opportunity to kind of prick or share another perspective or light of how someone experienced that, I want to do that because I want us to to grow from that. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, things That's- like light bright. Um, we put so much weight on on complexion. If you're dark or you're light, light means better and all of that kind of stuff. And it's just my way of keeping that conversation before us. And we keep yeah. wrestling with it and reflecting on it and growing from, from it. Um, I'm dark skinned, so I experienced it from a negative light as well. I mean, oh, yeah. You were teased because you were light, and I was teased because I'm dark. <laughs> it's like yeah, you can't get it exactly. Right. <laughs> and I I used to see it when we'd be out in public. It honestly happened more when my parents were around. Like we would just go shopping, like the normal family does, and then people would like start stuff for my dad because my dad's dark skin. Obviously, my mo- mother's white, and then people would say stuff to him. Like some black women would get pissed off from my dad, and then some white men would get pissed off from my mom, and I was just like. We're just walking through the mall trying to get some new yeah. basketball shoes. I'm like, what the <laughs> heck is going on? <laughs> yeah, so, you, like, you remind me, me a little bit of uh, Trevor Noah <laughs> and his. <story. laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, it, it was just interesting to me. Like, after a while, I, I just didn't care anymore about it because it didn't affect me personally. But it more so irked me when people would try to do it to the people that I love, whether that's family, whether that's friend, if it's my girlfriend. Like, an example, a couple years ago, we were in. Savannah, Georgia, just hanging out, me and my girlfriend and her her parents and all that. And we had a lot of racism from white people. And like me personally, doesn't bother me at all. But it's when people that I love are around and we can't even just enjoy a meal, like mm. not even paying attention to anybody, just trying to enjoy a meal and travel. But that's when I was like, all right, this is going to be uncomfortable. And like, I don't get aggressive or anything. I don't get violent. But I basically just ask a question. I'm like, hey, Something you want to say? Like, let, let's go ahead and get the, let's go ahead and kill the elephant in a room. Like, I'm yeah. not going to sit here for an hour in a restaurant when everybody's like, <laughs> like, I'm going to speak up. But yeah, I remember one good memory in regards to, I always try to give people the opposite of what they expect. Mm-hmm. So if they, if it's our people, if it's white people, if it's whoever the ethnicity is, if they, if I can read that he or she wants me to get aggressive and negative, I'm going to be totally nice. Even internally, I might be thinking negative, but I'm not going to show it. So I I kill them with kindness. And then in reverse, if they expect something else, then I'm not not going to be violent or be aggressive and cause a scene. But I remember key as day is that 
think I was 21. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do something different. We were in a restaurant and these family just kept saying stuff and then kept laughing. And I'm just like, look, I, I don't care anymore. And I said, you know what? I'm this close to getting mad. Let me do something I haven't done. And I asked our server, I said, hey, could you give me their bill? And I'll pay for their bill just to see the look on their face. Like I had no clue what they ordered, but I covered it. And then their server went to them and I saw and I was just kind of looking over. And they're like, yeah, your your meal is on the house tonight. Somebody actually paid for it. And they asked who. And then uh, I was like, hey, it's up to you if you want to tell them. And then their server pointed over at me and I just smiled and waved. I wish I could take a picture like their the face was priceless because they all felt bad and they didn't come over and apologize or nothing, but they just walked out embarrassed. But I know deep down that maybe that was a shift. So my whole goal with anything in regards to racism moments, whether it's to me or to the people around me, is I always try to spark a seed mm -hmm. to make them make them feel stupid in a nice way where they where they it. drive home <laughs> and they're just like, why was I doing that? It's like we're just at a restaurant trying to eat. So not everybody's going to care, but the majority of the time people do feel bad about it. But I just try to give somebody the opposite of what they expect because. I love that. Cooling, uh, killing with kindness. Um, I have <laughs> used that strategy before, but you're making me think of using it more. I don't think I keep it at the forefront of my mind, but I love that example. And, you know, it's little things. It's little oh, yeah. that may eventually, you know, prick someone's heart and win them over or cause them to think differently or challenge their exactly. own thoughts about people. Uh, and whether it's something related to racism or not, it's just be kind. How about that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and another quick story is uh, my girlfriend's, so my girlfriend's Caucasian. Well, she's, her dad's mixed, mm -hmm. but looks Caucasian. And her grandpa, he was army. And so they live in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And so that army base is in a black community. So Fayetteville, North Carolina. And then they, I remember they heard that their granddaughter was dating a black dude. So I guess they had some picture in their head. And I mean, if, even if I was dark and had dreads, why does it matter? As long as I'm respecting their granddaughter. But I remember hearing stuff. They're like, yeah, um, when you go there for Christmas, if they say anything weird, just ignore it. And I'm just like, hey, bring it. I, I don't care. <laughs> so then I showed up and there's like, so and at first they were sizing me up and all that. But then when they heard, I guess, the way I speak, they're like, oh, did you go to school? And I'm like, did you go like, to yes, school? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. And walk through the basics. But once we got past that, then they like fell in love with me. And I was just laughing because in my head, I'm like, so y'all sized me up when I walked up there. I'm like, what is it? What are, you, what are you doing? But but then when I think about it, I was like, you know what? I can't even be mad at them because they've been in this mentality for 60, 70 years or they're probably like 80 now, but I, I try to put myself in their shoes and say, you know what? Instead of me being selfish that, yeah, it was awkward the first five minutes. It is what it is. But I said, I'm not going to say that, oh, I don't want to go meet your grandparents. And I said, no, I'm going to go ahead and face the elephant and let's get this over with. Mm -hmm. Then try to make an excuse like, oh, dear, I couldn't make it to the Christmas thing. Oh, he couldn't make it to that. And like, I never wanted to make an excuse about it. So the first time I met them, the first five minutes was a little awkward. Mm -hmm. But then after a while, they really liked it. And then my girlfriend was like, yeah, he actually was in German, did this and this. And then once I said something in German, her grandpa was like, oh, and told me all these army stories in Germany. Mm -hmm. But in my head, I'm like, what if I didn't speak German? Well, like, but right. I don't do the what if, but it was just interesting. But either way, <laughs> I just gave somebody what they didn't expect. And that's what I always challenge myself to do. And that's anywhere. It could be in public. 
yeah, it's way harder said than done, but that is my challenge for people is uh, don't give people what they expect. Even if it's our own family, sometimes they expect you to cry, erupt, yell, whatever. Usually I'll just try to just be blank. Some people say it's nonchalant, but Hey, I just say, I'm not going to allow somebody to control this. Right. That's great. So you also um, told me about, so you had bullying outside of the home, but then you also experienced it in the home. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. So when I turned 11, I was in middle school. So that's when I put my foot down to myself and said, I'm no longer going to get bullied at school and at home and at home being, so my parents, they both grew up poor and they were the oldest of multiple siblings. So they had to be the dad. They had to be the mom. They had, I think, five to seven or five to eight brothers and sisters all in a tiny house. And like they saw some wild stuff. A lot of things happened to their mothers and they just saw a lot of violence and drugs and alcohol. So between the hours of 9 p.m. to 1 a.m., when I turned 11, I noticed that there was a shift that my parents were drinking a lot more and they were super positive. They became successful in their careers. They were well known. So I never wanted to tell anybody because I didn't want to bash a reputation. I was never the kid that ever complained. Like nobody ever knew when anything was wrong with me because I always told myself, like, it could be worse. I know plenty of people that have it worse. Yeah. And I said, I got both parents. We have air conditioned in Florida. We have a nice home. It's like, what is there to complain about? I, I can handle this. But basically what happened is that they would drink and it was once the guests left or after the cookout, that's when something would shift and they would release whatever happened in their past. So like my dad's been deployed a lot, obviously grew up in Mississippi, which is the most racist state in America. So he did with a lot of stuff, violence, violence, violence. And my mother had her own backstories as well in Germany. So I would see that by the age of 12, I had so many nights of dealing with them, screaming, yelling, punching, fighting, breaking glass, doing all the stuff that I said, you know what? They're not actually looking at me. They're looking through me mm. because I thought about, I was like, I'm doing good in school. I just play sports. I just try to work out. I really don't do anything else. And I was like, I'm not the problem. And the more that I could see that, that it would only happen on nights that they would drink. I was like, you know what? It's them. Something happened in their past. I'm not going to ask questions. I'm just going to explain except that it is what it is. But that's what inspired me to really get into fitness because I grew up the very skinny kid. I was shy. I had a really bad stuttering problem. And I was just really? like that timid kid. My shoulders were slumped over and I was just like scared to be scared for no that's reason, but it all stemmed from at home. So I, I, I basically had to kill you. that character. <laughs> that's what I was going to ask you is how did it affect you mentally, emotionally, but some of those things you just said is, is that right? Yes, exactly. So basically I went from being shy, timid, scared, fearful, and all that to, I just said enough is enough because I was getting bullied at home between 9 PM to 1 AM, like 300 nights a year. And then I go to school and I'm like, I can't even play my favorite sport. And I said, I can't even be in the locker room. And I was just like, I'm not going to become a violent person or repeat whatever they repeated. I'm not going to pick up a bottle. I'm not going to do drugs. And I'll just say, you know what, let me just face everybody because nothing is going to change. But it all started with fitness. I knew that I had to work out of myself, not to work out to fight everybody, but more so to be more secure myself. So within a year and a half, I did a total transformation. Like I went from the skinny kid to built and athletic. And then my classmates, and how my teammates, I was 12 at the time. And that's when I got obsessed with fitness. So, so what I would do. You started developing muscles and 
all that at 12. Yes, it, it was a personal development. So like I literally picked up every bodybuilding book, um, Bruce Lee's book, Arnold Schwarzenegger's Encyclopedia of Bodybuilding, Men's Health Magazine, uh, L.O. Cujay's workout book, like all kind of stuff. I just absorbed all this information, but it was more so one for the physical, but also the mental. I fell in love with the calmness afterwards. So I would go run a few miles. I would lift weights, but I fell in love with that calmness. So I would just be prepared for the night. So I was like, well, my mom's screaming in my face, saying some dark stuff. My dad's throwing me against what doing whatever. I was like, I was prepared because I already worked out. I'm calm. I'm accepting it. It is what it is. I'm not going to let it affect me. And then what I started doing by the age of 15, I became a certified personal trainer. And then I actually started training my teachers, my classmates, friends, my parents' friends. Mm -hmm. I started training all these different people because they saw the transformation. They're like, you used to be this little small, skinny, scared kid. And now we actually see you and you're confident. You're not scared. And you're just like there and so calm. They would, and they would pay you to train them or you... Yes. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So like my friends, I didn't charge them back then, but anybody like older, I would charge. But I fell in love with helping people feel better about themselves, health wise and mentally. And then. Sorry, good. <laughs> so it was mostly um, the greatest turnaround for you at 12 was the mental breakthrough, if you will, or the mental calmness a mental way of dealing with your life that was kind of in disarray. Um, but did the physical transformation ever help you? Like, did you have to use those resources to defend yourself ever? Oh, yes. A hundred percent, I did. But it was also more so that they saw that I was no longer a victim and I was more so a threat. So basically, the bully I would still size you up and they're like, oh, wait, this is the same dude? And they're like, oh, he looks like he knows something. It's going to be too difficult. So then like less would happen. So um, there was less violence, but it was more so like he doesn't have any fear. And in my head, I would just think this. I said, I'll just be blunt. I get my ass beat like 300 nights a year. So I was like, I'm not scared of these bullies. So when you have a 5'4 German mom drunk as heck in your face screaming, saying she wish she had an abortion like 500 times in your life or yeah. all those different times that you're like, what else is what else is worse? And then with your dad, like doing some crazy stuff, I was like, if I can handle that, I can handle anybody. Like the general public is not going to affect me. So I just saw it as a mental game. So I got obsessed with uh, learning people's stories as well. So I would read biographies, autobiographies. I would listen to interviews and I would really look at the highest people in their field, like athletes, uh, musicians, artists, even just like random people, like engineers, people that I really wouldn't look at but i would more so look at it to learn their story and every single one of them went through traumatic things whether it was family whether it was foster care whether it was child services like they all had some wild stuff and i said huh this is interesting so i fell in love with it and i said i'm not normal i know that i can be like them in a different way but it inspired me so anytime that something would happen i would just say this is all part of my journey testimony or comeback story mm -hmm. so like since that time period by 15 or 16 i basically calloused the mind so much that i saw everything as a game and everything as in um one of my favorite quotes by tony robbins was or still is life is happening for you not to you mm -hmm. so the first time i heard that it just clicked and i was like all this madness at home is making me a better coach and trainer for people all of this other stuff is preparing me so 
I would always see everything's connecting in a way. And I stopped being present. I was more so like zooming out, looking at myself. <clears throat> yeah, I have to say that I don't know if it was just because of your experiences or a combination of just what God gave you plus your experiences. You were able to piece some things together in a very wise way at a young age. And I applaud you for that. That's amazing. So many people. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> so many people, it takes them so much longer in life to arrive at some of the conclusions. Like for a little while ago, when you were talking about the mental shift that you had, what really stood out to me is I was thinking that confidence alone is a game changer. It tells oh, yeah. people when you walk into a room how you should be treated, basically. Yeah, exactly. Um, you're sending that out yourself. So we have the power to change the response that we get from the outside of us. But it starts with the work that we do on the inside of us first. And that's what 100%. I was hearing as I was listening to your story. You had an inward transformation, so to speak, that then projected out a different story to everybody else around you. So even if you were, even if you didn't work out and get this tough, strong body, that mental shift, that inward shift still would have sent that same message because I oh, see yeah. little, I'm just going to say really skinny, small kids today, but they're feisty and, oh, and yeah. bigger people know not to mess with him. <laughs> exactly you you can sense it like you can see yeah. people in public when when you're just walking around and like let's just say that i like to think of the analogy of an airplane you go on an airplane and you notice that there's a gentleman getting on the plane that started that was already at the bar and he's already been drinking probably an hour or two and everybody's like oh this can be interesting with this guy on this plane like ho hopefully he goes to sleep and everybody's kind of looking around on the plane when everybody's looking around they're looking for the most controlled people and it's, it yeah. doesn't matter like how big they are, but like, let's just say there's an Asian guy that's like five foot and he just has this like calm, confident face. And everybody's like, okay, he, he sees what's happening. So he's probably going to take control. Now this lady over here. Oh yeah. She, she's been through some stuff. She's focused. And then we kind of like give each other that head nod. And then everybody's kind of in the same page. The people that are scared, they're looking for guidance for the others. And they're like, okay, everybody notices this guy. So in case anything happens, this lady, that guy and him, they're going to come and help. And like no word has even been said. It's just kind of that eye contact and the head nod where everybody's on the same page, different ethnicities, different cultures. And this has happened plenty of times. Like when I was a kid and teenager, we would like fly and it would always happen. There's always be a drunk guy on the plane and I'd always look around and it was interesting. So anytime that anywhere in public things were about to happen, I would look around and I'd be calm. And I would always notice the calmest people were the most confident and it had nothing to do with their body type. It was just they probably just went through their own things and they were like, hey, this is nothing. I've seen worse. <laughs> so mm -hmm. they were all calm. And I love that about people because I said, huh, that's interesting. So I got into the psychology behind it. But all those situations also inspired me to help people in a deeper way than just with fitness and nutrition. The older I got, I really fell in love with helping people psychologically as well overcome the traumas the bad relationships with food, which usually stem from bullying, whether that was family or friends or like an ex, like just because somebody says something, they have a totally it, different view. It of really food, does. Like all it really these things. Does. And, but you know, as you bring up the word trauma, you reminded me of 
of a saying that you have, um, trauma victims are given the gift of discernment. So yes. as you start to talk about these things, will you also elaborate on that? For sure. I truly believe that everyone that's gone through trauma, whatever that level of extent is, or if they've seen hell, quote unquote, whether that's family related, society, whatever it is, we're all given a gift. And some they can see and identify and use the gift and others, they don't notice that they have a gift because of the story they tell themselves. Mm. So yes. So person one and person two could have had the same experiences and person one, they see this as a challenge. They say, you know what? I'm changing this. Alcoholism runs in my family with me. That's going to change. The other person, they might be twins. They continue the cycle. They they grab the drugs. They grab the alcohol. They're hyper-aggressive. They're just going down a dark path. Same scenario to both people have totally different outcomes. And both were given a gift. And I feel like people that go through trauma are given a gift. For some, it's discernment, being able to read a person being able to read the room and meet people where they're at, where they can just sense that. And others, they just have gifts in different ways. But I do believe that everybody that's went through trauma has a gift. And if somebody doesn't believe that, I challenge them to watch interviews or maybe read biographies of people that they look up to or admire. And they'll start to learn how much stuff these people actually been through. And they're like, no wonder he does this or no wonder she's so good at this and this. And it usually stems to they heal their inner child and then they help other people, whether that's their career, volunteer work, whatever it is, but it always connects and mm-hmm. I always found that interesting. And um, one of my favorite phrases is perspective hopping. I didn't, re- I didn't realize what that was until I started studying psychology when I was like 18, but I used to do that as a kid. So like the screaming, the yelling and stuff would happen and I would pop out of myself and look at myself and say, what should he do? And then I would say, all right, I'm, I need to respond to this to my mom or like this to the bully. And then I would pop into my younger self and say, you know what? You handle that well. And I would basically like talk to myself from different versions, yeah. younger version, scared, current version going through the thing. And then I would think of my version 10.0. What are his characteristics and traits internally? And what decision would he make? Mm-hmm. And then I would do that. And then the older I got, I, I heard of that term and I was like, wow, I'm not crazy. I used to think I was That's just funny. doing some weird stuff, but you know, when it was, you it was first, just interesting. When you first said it, I thought you were going somewhere else with it. Because one thing that I did and still do is I think I have a gift to put myself in another person's shoes. So awesome. it actually helps me. So even though you may be the abuser, I can look at you and almost see a story that's brought you to what you're displaying right now. And it gives me the ability to actually even still have some empathy for you. Um, Not that I agree with what you're doing or want you to continue or want to be subjected to it, but it makes me care enough about you to want to help you become whole so you can change all that around. Um, so it's it's uh, it's very interesting. But I, I like the perspective that you just shared too. <laughs> I appreciate it. And yeah, like people that can see from different perspectives, whether it's looking at themselves or from somebody else, they usually have the most emotional awareness and emotional control. Like a lot of people, they have IQ. Emotional There's a lot of smart people, street smarts. <laughs> Yeah, they got the emotional intelligence, they got street smarts, they got book smarts, there's a lot of smart people, but 
there's very small amount of people that have emotional awareness and emotional control. They got the IQ or the street Q, but they don't have the EQ. So they just erupt, erupt, erupt. And it, it was always interesting. So I would look at my family. I would look at my old friends and just in general, in public, when I'd be in public as a kid and teen, I, was, I would just read. And I was like, why, why are these people being like so hyperly emotional about the smallest thing? You'd be in a restaurant. Somebody brings you ice in your drink and they're like, I didn't ask for ice. I was like, is it, why is that that big a deal? Just say, hey, do you mind taking the ice out or bring me, bring me another one? And then I would notice it was just people that didn't do much personal development. Right. Anything that would happen, they would just erupt and cause a scene about it because they just were in pain, going through something dark, stressed out, confused, on edge. So there was always something deeper. It was not the server's fault that they brought an ice. They brought ice in the water. Like that was just the icing on the cake to the person. So another way to say that people who've gone through traumatic experiences have discernment is to say that a tough lesson was presented to them. And they learn the lesson. And oh, yeah. either you can pass the test, meaning uh, you take those experiences and you learn how to make something more beautiful out of it. Even if it's just sharing or helping others with the knowledge you've gained by being through that experience. Or yes. people can make the decision that I'm just destroyed by it and they get paralyzed and don't move forward so exactly it's very very interesting to think about it that way but you know now today you're a coach and you're helping others uh whether one-on-one or in small groups why do you do this kind of work i think you've touched on it a little bit here and there but what's your big why great question i love to give people their power back mm-hmm. on a deep level i give people their power back so have the tools, experience, knowledge, but it's not necessarily that we're doing something that's that new or that deep. It's more so just reminding them that the power is actually all already inside them. Mm-hmm. So people are always searching for the new thing, searching for that, looking for outside validation or placing happiness on a number on a scale or measurements or how they want to look in a picture. Like there's all these different things that are common with many people, but once they realize the powers within them, their response to anything becomes better. We don't pretend that stress, anxiety, trauma, we don't pretend that stuff doesn't exist or is not going to happen again. We just say once that person realizes that they have the power, they usually are much more strategic in their responses. They respond on strategy rather than emotion. And if they do feel that emotions are going to take over, they take a step back and they breathe, they reassess the situation and they make a better decision. And maybe in the past, they wouldn't have been like that good on the response that they were like, man, he or she used to fight or used to yell and scream. And now they pause, say, you know what? They're just going to walk away or whatever the better outcome is. It's always interesting. So definitely being able to give people their power back and make them identify that it was just overshadowed by whatever happened, trauma, limiting beliefs, whatever was said, whatever experience they had, but giving them that power back. So they feel that they can thrive and not just feel like they're surviving. Mm-hmm. All the answers are already inside. I I agree with that too. I wrote a novel. Um, it's a two-part series so far. There's going to be other parts to come, but it's nice. the same type of uh, 
story, if you will. There's a girl who's gone through a very traumatic experience and ultimately she's learning that the answers were always inside. Um, although she goes through a plethora of different situations and um, actually really terrible situations um, along the way, but that's the whole point. What you're looking for, what you're searching for oh, yeah. is already inside. So I agree with you with that. Um, what are some principles that you share in your coaching sessions um, that could help people go to their next level best around the things that we're talking about? Don't spoil it. We want people to get in touch with you and, and get your services to do one-on-one coaching or group coaching. Um, but what are a few nuggets you can share with us that'll help people? Yeah, for sure. So one of the first things that I do with anyone that I recommend is they grab a sheet of paper and they create an eliminate sheet, eliminate sheet. So what they're going to do, they're going to ask themselves the question, what is something that I'm doing that is holding me from making the progress that I want? Mm -hmm. And what is something that I'm doing or consuming that could help me make more progress? Like maybe I could replace it with something better. So what could we get rid of? Or what can we replace with something better? So I always start with what we eat and what we drink. So first thing in the morning, that person, they wake up. What do they grab when they go in the kitchen? Are they grabbing the sweet tea? They're grabbing the Coke. Are they putting the artificial flavoring in their coffee? Whatever it is. Or is their first thing that they drink just water? So looking at it at a basic level with what they consume, with what they drink. Maybe that person's like, you know what? I do need to cut down on the sugars, especially in the morning, because by 10 a.m., they feel like they're crashing and they're like, I need another coffee or some more sugar. So it could be that for that person. For somebody else, it might be what they eat. So starting off with that list, first with what you consume, what you eat, what you drink, what could we eliminate to help them make more progress? And they're the ones that are writing. So they're thinking about it like, okay, what about mentally? Intrusive thoughts. Maybe they speak negative to themselves. Maybe they don't know how to accept a compliment and they feel really uncomfortable and awkward and they downplay themselves. So somebody gives a genuine compliment like, hey, your skin's looking great. You look hydrated. Nothing weird about that comment. The person's like, oh, yeah, you know, my skin is not that great and blah, blah. Like they always have to kind of belittle themselves when somebody gives a genuine compliment. But th these are just all common examples. But the more that somebody writes, the more clarity they get and the more less judgmental they are. So I always recommend eliminate as in, and we're not saying we're getting rid of these just in one day, yeah. but it's more yeah. so you having clarity of what you know you can improve. And I always recommend that opposed to adding to the routine or adding to the schedule. Because when you add to somebody that's already stressed or feeling low, it's just not going to work. And many people are not going to go cold turkey on whatever that thing is, but they can at least slowly start to make the changes. So first get rid of some things before you try to change things or add to the schedule or like rearrange everything. But that's always step one, because the person, once they write it, they can breathe and say, you know what? That actually felt good. I never actually got that all out, out of my chest, speak it or write it down. Usually they know that one main thing. Everybody knows that one main thing that they want to do less of, but to think of more. So if they wrote down 10 things and they might all be small, but those small things usually hold a lot of weight on us because it might just be that one bite of food, that one drink, that one person they text. So once they have that clarity, they feel some power and then slowly they can begin to work on what they can eliminate. And then we start to go deeper on their programming. But that's always step one that I recommend to everyone is do not change your schedule. 
Don't add to it. First, get rid of some things. It might be food, might be drinks. It might even be that toxic friend that every time you call them with good news, they're like, oh, <laughs> you know, we can't all have this. And like, they always have that little side comment. So that, whatever it is, slowly distance yourself. <laughs> that's some great information. But if we had to narrow it down and you could just leave us with one final gem, it's like, okay, we had this whole discussion from bullying to learning to protect yourself through a, a mental shift and a physical shift. Um, and then we know that we can make a type of T-chart <laughs> to eliminate things. And that's a process over time. You shared all this wonderful stuff. What's the one gem? If we forget everything else, say people, hold on to this one. Great question. So I would challenge everyone to become the man or woman that you would be proud of and give them to the world. Become the man or woman that you would be proud of and give them to the world. That doesn't just have to be career. That could be volunteer, just however somebody takes that. So my example, I hear I healed my inner child, and now I just try to give other people their power back so they don't let their past control everything because they might be winning in one area, but there's a lot of other things that they're like, I'm carrying this into every friendship, relationship, career, and they're just like, I can't get away from this thing. So that's that thing that, I challenge people to take control of or get rid of, but what can you do to become the man or woman that you would be proud of? And how could you give that person back to others? That is a great nugget. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> so, it. <laughs> now we're at the point where I would just love for you to go ahead and share whatever you want my audience to know in terms of how they can engage with you, be in touch with you, get access to your coaching, et cetera. For sure. So they can find me at my website, which is fitwithderek.com, D-E-R-I-C-K, the only right way to spell Derek, but fitwithderek.com. Uh, on there, they'll see pictures and videos of males and females, different careers, different body types. But I love to show the videos because they speak about their journey. For some, they needed help with public speaking and they felt stuck in their career. With others, they were just like, I had a bad relationship with food. Now I, I don't see food as good or bad. They just see it in a different way. So all those deeper stories. And so I just like showing people, real people with real results. And so knowing that they can relate to somebody, that's all it is. Because not everybody is an athlete. Not everybody wants a certain type of body type, but they might relate to somebody's story where they're like, wow. I totally relate to that. I had a divorce. I went through this, started drinking more, and I just felt stuck being able to see those things. And on social media, my whole intent is to plant seeds, plant seeds. So when somebody's about to hit snooze, when they're about to skip a workout, when they're about to pick up that bottle, when they're about to order again on Uber Eats, they're going to think about one of my videos. They're going to be like, you know what? He called me out that thing. So just planting seeds all the time. But they can find me at fitwithderek.com or on social media. It's going to be fitwithderek2. That's the number two. But yeah, my whole intent is just to be that person that's in somebody's corner that's going to push them to their true potential. Well, thanks so much, Derek. This has been really a, a delightful conversation. And I thank you for being very transparent, sharing your experiences, your pain points, and um, how you overcame them and how it's guided you uh, to who you are today and what you're doing. You're, you're, you're living what you gave as your gym to all of us. So I really appreciate, I appreciate that. It. 
I think this is going to be a, a wonderful episode that I'm excited to share with everyone. So thanks again for being on Envision Together. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure being here. Hopefully somebody can take away one or two things. Wonderful. I'm sure they will. <laughs> well, friends, thanks for joining me for another episode of the Envision Together Going to Our Next Level of Best podcast. I hope today's topic inspired you to envision a brighter future getting to your next level of best and to urge others to reach theirs as well. If you are encouraged by today's episode, subscribe and share it with your family and friends. Also, please write a review. It will help me to reach a wider audience with a message of hope and inspiration. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram and share your thoughts about today's episode. Until next time, envision the future you want to see.